0: a big picture view of the Bible so that we can see the big movements of the story that's told across those 66 different books to help us get a better sense of how to make sense of the various parts that we come across. So, As we become exposed and more aware of the larger movements of the Bible, we find ourselves enjoying and understanding each bit in between a little bit better. And so today we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. I want to invite you to join with me. The words will be on the screen. We'll be reading this uh, third chapter, verses 1 through 21. And so I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpents, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust and to dust you shall return. And the man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So every year, the Barna Research Group publishes The State of the Bible, and it studies this report how Americans engage with the Bible. Now, the study uses five categories to describe people. It uses, on one end, a category called Bible disengaged, and on the other end, it's Bible-centered, and then things in between. Now, the disengaged folks rarely, if ever, even open a Bible. On the other end, the Bible-centered folks, the study says, interact with the Bible frequently, And it transforms their lives, or that transforms their relationships and shapes their choices. So, let me show you a graph that showed up in this study. In this graph, we can see scripture engagement compared to last year. And so, there's good news. You can see that fewer people are disengaged this year than last. Hey, you can also see a slight increase over last year and people that are interacting more frequently with the Bible and actually finding it meaningful to their life. That's great, isn't it? That's exactly what we want. But here's the sobering finding. There on the other end, the Bible-centered category fell from 9% to 5%. It wasn't very high to begin with, and at the end of 2000, or the middle of 2019, fell to 5%. Let me put that into a little bit of context. The same organization found that 73% of Americans classify themselves as Christian. 73%. 5% are Bible-centered. The world's in a mess. Have you noticed? A lot of things could contribute But I wonder frequently if it's not the quality of the Christians. I hope that all of us seek to become Bible-centered, to enjoy and find meaning in the Scripture and allowing it to transform our lives and shape our relationships. And then what I want you to do is go out from here And then share the love of the scriptures that tell the story of the good news of Jesus Christ and help kindle a love for the disengaged and the neutral and flip the statistics. That's my hope for us and for all of God's people everywhere. Now listen, this is not a guilt trip, I promise. I'm saying this to you, no matter where you fall in the categories I'm saying this to you because I don't want you to miss out. Whether you're a Christian or not, I don't want you to miss out. Because I know from my experience, from others' experience, from the witness of God, that the word of God in the Bible will change your life. I can; It's changed mine, I promise you. And it continues to change my life day after day after day. I know that spending time with God while sharing in the scriptures, reading the words of prayers and the story of God and God's own words, I know that that is like a meeting with God. That the Holy Spirit meets with us in a special way. And we learn about and experience forgiveness and healing and we're challenged to grow. I know that the Bible can change our lives and and it helps us to get a glimpse of the joy of heaven. And I want that for everybody, don't you? That's why, that's why we're taking this 10,000 foot view of the Bible in our series called Long Story Short. Because here's what I want for you. I want for us to be able to take a look at the big picture of the Bible so that we can understand it better ourselves, grow more Bible-centered, and also be able to help others remove obstacles that come in their way as they seek to engage with the scriptures. So starting last week, we began with the six major movements of the Bible. And here's here's what they are, and we'll go over them each week. Uh, First is creation, and then fall, and then Israel, Jesus, church, new creation, all the way back around. Now, we started with creation, and last week we heard that God created a good and purposeful universe. God created everything, and he looked back at it and said, hey, that's good. i done good. He created uh, the, the fluffy clouds and the sunsets and sunrises. Aren't those good? And the bunnies and the chocolate and the chocolate bunnies and all of that is so good, but gets even better. God, on the sixth day, created people. And when God created people, he stepped back and he said, now that's very good. One of the good things that God gave people is free will, the ability to make choices. We make choices every day. And it's a gift that God has given us. And and it's a beautiful gift on its face. Because God didn't make robots that are programmed to love him and do his will. No, God gave us the choice to choose with all of our heart to freely give ourselves to him and to others and to God's work in the world. But, if you haven't discovered yet, we can also make bad choices. Everybody makes bad choices. I've made bad choices today alone. Let's not name them, please. That's where Adam and Eve's story takes a turn with a choice. In fact, that's where all of creation takes a turn. God gave Adam and Eve full run of the beautiful Garden of Eden. Eat from all of this fruit, all of these trees, and the animals shall be yours and the land shall be yours. But don't do this one thing. Y'all, it's just one thing. Don't do this one thing. Have you noticed that when there's only one thing you shouldn't do, it's the only thing you want to do? He said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just one thing. God sets boundaries for us. And and it may feel arbitrary or overbearing at times, like, who is God to give me rules? And, well, it's it's God, but we can talk about that. Or, Or why not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Isn't that knowledge good, not evil? We can get into all the details on that later, but the fact of the matter is, is that, God sets boundaries, and and they're not bad for us at all. In fact, they're a sign of God's love and care for us, because the boundaries that God lays out for people are, they mark the pathway towards abundant life. You know, it's kind of like when parents tell their kids, okay, it's time to shut off the TV, or that's enough candy for the day. And, and very few kids are like, oh, that's enough candy? Excellent. Hook me up with some broccoli. I'd love that. No, usually, It's not an enjoyed situation. Boundaries don't always make us feel good, and we might not like it, but it's absolutely in their best interest, and it's done in love. And when we rebel against God's boundaries, when we cross them, we sin. And that's what today is about. That's what this episode is about. It's about sin. Because when we sin, we leave the path. Of abundant life, and we face the dire consequences of our actions. Adam and Eve make a choice. They disobey God, they rebel against God, and they eat the fruit. They sin. And that's where the next episode begins the Fall. Now, the Fall is the story here of Adam and Eve sinning and falling from grace and being expelled from the Garden of Eden. So the fall is Adam and Eve's story, but it's also our story. Dr. James McNall says this, This story is for anyone who's watched their life and dreams and plans come apart at the seams. It's about broken marriages and broken hearts and death and dead-end jobs. It's about falling. And all of us do that. He describes the fall as the falling. And I like that. Because we read about the fall, but we've been reliving it throughout human history and in our own lives over and over. It's like a continued falling. You see, it's not just Adam and Eve that sinned that one time and ruined it for everybody. It's it's Jim. And it's Amanda. It's you. And it's all of us. The world is fallen and falling. The world is falling. I mean, how else can you explain some of the things that we've seen throughout history? The great tragedies and and genocides and injustice. How else can you explain the fact that there is enough food produced every year to feed the entire world's population and every day people die of starvation? How else can you explain that? senseless? violence, power at the cost of people. The world is falling. That's what sin does to everything. So for the next few minutes, what I want to do is look over this story from Genesis 3 that we've read, and I want to highlight four things that sin does to Adam and Eve and that sin does to us. So the question for the day, what does sin do? are you ready? First, sin covers us with shame. Sin covers us with shame. Take a look at verse 10. He, that being Adam, Adam said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And some of you want to know, yes, I did say the word naked in church. It's in the Bible, and it goes somewhere. Listen, You see, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were not ashamed to be naked. In fact, the capstone of the creation chapters is, and they were naked and unashamed. And that sure says something about their physicality, but it's also a symbol for their soul, wide open and unashamed. But sin made them so ashamed. It reversed the goodness of creation so much so that they just have to cover themselves up. And the best they can do, they can't really do it, the best they can do is yank some fig leaves off the tree and try to stitch together. Did they teach you how to stitch before you were created? No. And they made a loincloth, and that's all they could do. It's the first cover-up, really. It has been happening ever since. And their guilt gnawed at them so much that they had to change their appearance and their behavior. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Guilt is like that. It warps us. And it actually makes us hide from goodness and good things. And it fills us with shame. You see, sin brings guilt into our lives and it changes us. It's not just like if you were to get a, a legal summons or a speeding ticket and you can just sit it in your drawer and forget about it. It does something to you at the deepest levels. It weighs us down and it stains us. So Adam and Eve were once naked and unashamed all that it means in its actual and symbolic language and now they're clothed with guilt and shame it's not a good trade but that's what sin does to them to you and me too second sin breaks relationship all of them sin breaks relationship first with god Now, not only do Adam and Eve hide from God, they're now afraid of God, who they used to walk with in the evening breeze. And not only that, they now stand at odds with God. I mean, look at this response that Adam gives when God confronts them. Normally, you might miss this. This is not something that stands out to everybody. Genesis 3.12. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me... She gave me the food. You did this. You gave her to be with me. Adam blames God. God and Adam and Eve used to spend their evenings walking together. He walks with me and talks with me. I go in the garden alone. And now, Adam distances himself from God. He's afraid of God. And he actually makes God his adversary. That relationship is broken. Broken. Sin also breaks relationship between people. In fact, the first sin leads to the first marital conflict. Take a look at that verse again uh, a little bit differently. It says, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I. She gave me the fruit. It's God's fault, and now it's Eve's fault. Now, I leaned in a little on the men last week. I'm going to do it again. Hey, guys, before you start going and blaming the women in your life for all the things that are wrong, um, I need you to remember that the Bible says, look it up, that Adam was right there with her. In fact, Eve wasn't even alive when God said, don't do that. He said it to the dude. And Adam did nothing to stop her or to stop himself. Adam was there, and Adam made the choice. Of all of this that's going on in this verse, there is one operative phrase. Only one. I ate. I ate. He made a choice. And he rebelled against God. Adam and Eve were made very good, given to one another to be one flesh, but now Adam is willing to sacrifice his marriage, his relationship to avoid the consequences of his actions. Sin breaks relationships. Three, sin infects everything. Adam and Eve paid the price for their sin. And that's usually how it goes. You do something wrong, you pay the piper, reap what you sow, etc. Adam and Eve paid the price, but so did everything else. Listen to what God says to Adam. He says in verse 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. Sin affects creation itself. It doesn't just sit in us when we make a mistake. It it just spreads everywhere like an infection. It ripples outward like a stone tossed in water. The whole world fell when Adam and Eve fell. Poor cute little bunnies The trees, the animals, the weather, it's all infected. I was talking with uh, my friend Stanton the other day. Stanton told me about his recent trip to Providence Canyon. Have you all been to Providence Canyon? There's a picture. Now you can say I've seen a picture. It's one of Stanton's pictures, actually. Take a look. It's known as one of the seven natural wonders of Georgia. But Stanton reminded me that Providence Canyon is anything but natural. Natural. The canyons, the cracks and crevices throughout uh, the earth there are the result of people's mistakes. Direct result, erosion from bad farming practices. The earth paid the price for their mistake. And onward, the, uh, there's, that's just one example of how the earth... Itself is fallen because of sin. I mean, take a look. Tornadoes in southwest Georgia and fires all over Australia and earthquakes in Puerto Rico. Because the world fell that day, the earth paid the price. And sin infects everything. Humanity is infected too. Do you know what the very next story in the Bible is? You Bible centered people? Cain and Abel. You know what, Cain, they raised Cain. That's where the song comes do, do you remember what happened? Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's children. This is just one verse away from what just happened. Adam and Eve's children and Cain murders his brother Abel in a jealous rage. And it just goes downhill from there. You see, we're born with the infection. We're born with it, even before we commit our first sin. We are corrupted by the disease. And that's why King David cries out in Psalm 51. He says, read this with me if you can. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We inherit sin. Now, inheritance usually means that you're going to get some stuff from your ancestors when they die. Some of you will get inheritance, some of you will inherit debt, but it's stuff too. <laughs> but we inherit more than stuff. We inherit sin too. And we actually inherit that at our birth. Just as an example, think about the broken patterns and traumas that pass on from generation to generation in families and communities. We are formed in that stuff before we know any difference. Sin is our state of being before it is our choice. That's why Paul declares in Romans, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because sin infects everything. And fourth, the most uplifting of them all, sin results in death. Listen. Even if you're willing to live with the guilt, broken relationships, and an inferior existence. Even if you're willing to do that, you can't. Because sin results in death. Listen to what God says to Adam. Verse 18. He says, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Do you remember how God created Adam and Eve? He formed them from the dust of the earth, and then what did he do? He breathed life into them. That's why we are God-breathed people. Sin has the ultimate consequence, though. Humanity will breathe a final breath, and then breathe no more, and then return to dust. It's like sin takes God's breath away. The New Testament says this, the wages of sin is death. But right now, we probably have the best medicine in the history of the world, and yet we will still breathe our last breath and return to dust. Because that's the result and the wages of sin. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? Somebody just breathed out real deep. (laughs) There's actually... Not only is there more to the Bible, there's actually a surprise twist to this story. In the midst of Adam and Eve's shame-filled nakedness and their sin-covered, shamed lives, they actually find God's mercy. And we can see that in verse 21. And you'll have to stick with me on this one. Listen to this. And the Lord God made garments of skins from the animals. For the man and for his wife, and clothed them. They were so ashamed and covered in sin, and they tried themselves to cover, and the best they could do was get a shoddy fig leaf loincloth. They couldn't do the work. But God. When God has confronted them and God has, has sentenced them and right before he sends them out of the garden, he leaves them with an act of mercy, his good and beautiful creation who has fallen. He says, I will clothe you completely before you go. This is the beginnings of the image of God's grace that we will see in Jesus Christ Because in the same way that we can't cover our own sin, we need a divine covering. And I'm going to ask you something. We sang about it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus covers us. There's an old story told about a young man who walked up to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And he took it and he went on a whirlwind tour of the world every which way and squandered it all. And then one day he woke up covered in mud with an oink in his ear and realized that he had found himself sleeping in a pigsty covered in mud, eating slop because that's all he could get his hands on. And he thought to himself, wow, I have hit bottom. Maybe, maybe I ought to go back home because at least in my father's house, the servants, they at least had a place to stay and he might give me something to eat. So broke and covered in pig stink, he makes his way home. And this is what Jesus tells us in the gospel about the father's response. He sees his filthy son coming far down the road and he shouts to the house bring me the finest robe and he grabs it and he runs out to his son and he embraces him pig mud and all and he takes that beautiful family robe and covers him with it and the inside is now all caked with sin and muck but it doesn't matter The father clothes him over with all of that. And he is now covered in the family robe. And he says, as he covers his son's filthy, sin-stained body to the household, he says, get this boy some shoes. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. I think that means let's get the filet mignon tonight because we're going to have a party. Why? Because my son, who was dead, is alive. Who was lost is now found. And the father covered all of his shame-filled, dirty nakedness with his very own robe and the party was about to begin. That is grace. That is amazing grace. That's the grace that God makes available to all of us despite the wages of our sin is that God will cover us with Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to say amen. Stanton, you need to come up here next time. This is going to be you and me. I'm about to leave again. Do you remember what the boy said when he saw his dad far off in the distance? Do you remember what he said? He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I can feel those words in my bones. It's confession. He acknowledges his rebellion and his sinful actions. Confession is good. To confess our sins before God, it's a response to God's mercy. It's a healing response on our way to restoration. So I want to invite you to join me in a time-tested prayer of confession it's going to be familiar to you you find the words on the screen page 12 in your hymnal if you'd like to but i want to invite you as we close so let's confess our sins before god join me merciful god we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart we have failed to be an obedient church we have not done your will We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's take this moment of silence. Just take this time to confess your sin before God. My friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. If God still has business to do with you today, the author is...